Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to City Church. How you doing? All right, three of us are great. The rest of you got to catch up. Come on. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Drake. It's an honor to have you here. I'm the pastor here, and we are so pumped to be in week four of our series, Starting Point. This has, has been kind of a, a building series, if you will, and, uh, and so if you've missed the first three weeks, you can go back, check it out on our podcast, our YouTube channel, all of that. All the pieces are kind of coming together and building some really, really helpful conversations, so would love for you to do that. Know that that resource is available for you. Also, if you're a guest with us online, we're so grateful that you're tuning in. You can use all the digital aspects of the same connection card. We would love to have you do that and, and get you plugged in. But listen, if you're a first-time guest with us here today, just want to let you know, so glad that you're plugging in, so glad that you're here today. And one of our big, big heartbeats here at City Church is that everyone is loved, safe, and welcome. And this series is built specifically to address the reality that a lot of us are on different spiritual journeys. We have different growing up experiences. We have different challenges right now. And so we're trying to kind of collectively take a step back and ask the big question, what would it look like if you and I had the privilege of hitting the restart button on the entire faith conversation? And so, uh, again, because some of us, you know, you, you grew up and, and you, you were handed a faith paradigm and then you kind of adopted it. And then maybe as you started to grow up and as you started to get into high school and into college, you started to experience some gaps from your childhood faith to your adult experiences. And you started trying to figure out how to reconcile those gaps. And people have different responses to this, right? Some of you, when you started to face the gaps in your faith, especially if you grew up like in and around like a Christian household or, or something like that, some people just kind of really grit away and say, you know what, I'm just going to like put my head down and I'm going to believe anyway. And then sometimes you're faced with like hard questions and you have people that, you know, throw what ifs at you or different things like that and you just try to like avoid it. You're like, ah, you know what? We're just not going to ask those hard questions. We're just going to kind of turn the other cheek here. We're going to make sure, you know, we're going to believe anyway. You just have to believe, right? Some people just hold on to their faith like that, um, and it doesn't really help anyone on the outside, and I don't know that it helps us internally as well because we're just trying to, you know, pretend like there's not a gap. Others of us, you've experienced gaps in your faith, whether, whether you were handed a faith paradigm and it was kind of, you know, a uh, uh, challenged as you grew up, or maybe you, you put together your own faith paradigm as you're growing up. Maybe you didn't grow up in and around the, uh, you know, a Christian faith or, or any faith at all, and so you started to put your own pieces together, and as you began to put your pieces together, you're like, there's a bunch of gaps. I'm missing a lot of puzzle pieces here, and there's a lot of hard questions, and I, I've been having lots of conversations with friends lately, and they're like, man, I had all these questions, and I was just told not to ask them. I had a phone call with a friend like three weeks ago, and he said, I had this question, and that question, and this question, and that question. And basically, the response to, to those he was asking was, don't ask. <laughs> and I was like, that's not a really good response. And so he called me. I'm like, those are great questions. You should ask those. They're hard questions, but you should ask those questions. And so you and I, again, I, I realize you could be coming in anywhere on your spiritual journey. And so I just want you to know, not only are you loved, safe, and welcome, but our, our desire is to meet you where you are and help, help you just take a next step. And so as you dig into what it means to have faith, specifically, obviously, in, in, in the Christian context when it comes to faith in Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about specifically the role of rules, because one of the gaps that we experience is as we begin to contemplate faith, 
There's also the role of rules that come into, by, by the way, this is bigger than the Christian tradition, right? There's like lots of different rules and lots of different faith traditions. And one of the things that we constantly have a problem with is what is the role of rules? And, and right, there's a lot of different ones. Like, for example, there's the five pillars of Islam, right, that, that we see in, in uh, um, the Muslim faith. Or we see like the Ten Commandments, you know, on, on the Jewish side. Or we see like the Sermon on the Mount, when it comes to the role of rules. And so you have lots of different expressions of the roles, roles of rules. And the question is like, what, what is the role of rules? What, what, what bearing is it meant to have on us? Because if you're like me, you've probably been around enough circles that you know someone who has uh, um, come up against the role of rules. And what the role of rules does is really, it just kind of seems like they're there to make you feel bad. <laughs> like guilt, shame, kind of just push you into the right behavior by making you feel really bad, bad about the opposite. And so what is the role of rules? Not, not just in general, but specifically when it comes to a relationship with God. Here's what's funny, and you might have experienced this, is like there's lots of you know, different rules and different faith traditions, um, but then Christianity gets really weird. And, and this is where a lot of people, especially in the West, have a struggle with faith conversations and their experience specifically. It's, it's, the, it's the gap between what I'm told and what I experience. And so you have all of these different denominations in the West and in the Christian faith, right? So you have Baptists and they have their own set of rules. And you have, you know, like, like Pentecostals, they have their own set of rules. And you have Methodists, they have their own set of rules, right? And like, so I, I grew up when I, when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in a Baptist church. And one of the big rules is don't drink. Don't do that because it's bad and it's wrong. And I remember looking at Jesus turning water into wine and I'm like, what do we do with that one? Not just any wine, guys, the best wine. I just want you, one of my favorite stories. Anyway, we'll move on. All right, but right, so the Baptists have their own rules, which is weird. And then you go to the Church of Christ, and they're like, no instruments, right? No instruments during the service. We're like, okay, well, that's a weird rule, but okay. And then you go to the Pentecostals, and they got weird dress codes, right? Right, we don't really have a dress code here, just clothes is really all we're asking, okay? You just can't come in your birthday suit. And then, you know, there's the Methodists, which we don't really, we don't really know what they do. Uh, they might actually not have enough rules, so like, we might need to help them out. But we don't, right, that's a joke, I don't. All right, all right, anyway. All right, the point is there's rules all over the place, and it's funny because the rules change. You know what's really funny? Is the same denominations across state borders change. You go to the South, you go to Texas, you go to a Baptist church in Texas and a Baptist church in Colorado, they got different rules. <laughs> like, I'm confused. <laughs> what am I supposed to do here, right? And so you start asking the question, again, not, not just... What are the role of rules inside of a church? But more specifically, what, what is the role of rules when it comes to a relationship with God? So let me just build some paradigms for you, okay? So going to kick it off. You're taking notes. This is all for you. The rules always assume a relationship. So we'll just kind of build a paradigm for you, okay? Anytime we're faced with rules, so again, get out of the faith paradigm for just a second and think about your life in general, growing up in your household, workplace, school, wherever you are. Rules always assume a relationship. So the question that you and I have to wrestle with is what kind of relationship are we talking about in this form? So let me give you a couple models, okay? So, for example, there's the family model when it comes to rules, okay? Everybody born into a family of some, some sort, right? I mean, I mean, you have just different expressions of family. And, and everyone has been born into a family of some sort. But what's, what's interesting about the role of rules in a family is that they don't make the rules so that you can be a part of the family, right? You're a part of the family and the rules follow, right? Meaning... meaning you don't have to line up with the rules in order to be a part of the family, but rather the, the rules are a part of the family context. You're already a part of the family. 
because you're a part of the family, the rules exist in that paradigm. You know what's funny about the family model? Is that it's strictly within the family, right? Like I, I, our family has like some household rules, things that are expected. But again, my kids are a part of the family. The rules follow the relationship. Does that make sense to you? Right? The, the rules follow the relationship. They don't, they don't determine the relationship. They follow. But I don't call Daniel and Michelle and ask to speak to Abigail, their oldest daughter, and said, are you in bed yet? It's past your bedtime. You need to get in bed. Right? Why? Because, because <laughs> she's not my family. My rules don't apply to her because they're a part of my family dynamic. But there's not only that. The family model is one of them. A another model we could use is the, uh, the club model. Right? And the club model would be that you agree, uh, agree to keep rules, and then you can be a part, right? I mean, you're very familiar with this. There's a lot of things in, in our, in our, in our uh, circles of, of live, work, and play that function like this. The club model is you do X, Y, and Z, and you can be in relationship with us. And so the idea is you agree to, to follow the rules, and you're in. And if you break the rules, you're out, right? That's, that's very, very black and white. We experience the club model a lot. Um, and, and again, the rules here don't follow the relationship, but the rules establish the relationship. Does that make sense? Literally, the rules help you understand what dynamic you play in the club model. Again, these are just made up. I'm just helping us understand the different roles of rules, okay? The last one would be like the HOA model, okay? And, and, and this one's a bit of bitter pill for me right now because uh, uh, that's exactly how I feel. The HOA model is like this weird, like, you're apart, but no one really likes you. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, there's not really clear rules. It's very black and white. You don't know where you stand. You're just kind of tolerated. And the only time that you know you're out of bounds is when you get, like, a nasty letter in your, in your mailbox or in your email, right? And so, like, like, the HOA model is a good example of, like, you just, it's very gray. You, you don't know where you stand. But when you're out of alignment in the HOA model, they can't really kick you out, but they can treat you in such a way that you wish you would, you know, somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, the HOA model is that weird gray in between. So let's translate this to faith conversations for a second, okay? And think about your story for a second, what you've heard, what you've been exposed to, all of those things. And so, so what about the, the family model for faith, right? You're in, like, no matter what you do, you're in, but there are some rules to follow, right? So, so the, the rules don't get you in, but rather there are rules as a part of the relationship. Or, or what about the, the club model for faith, right? You, you keep behaving in order to stay in or you get kicked out. Or, again, there's the HOA model for faith, and it's like this, you know what, you're, you're human, and so you're not perfect, and, and you, know, you, you might get some guilt and shame every now and then, uh, and there's this feeling of like, you know, God doesn't really like you, but he'll put up with you, <laughs> right? There's the, there's the HOA model of faith. And again, I don't know what your, your background has been, but maybe it's a combination of some. Like, I was thinking about it. Some of you grew up and you, you were taught the family model. This is what the, 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 the Christian faith is supposed to look like, right? You were taught the family model, but then you were treated like the club model. This is where it gets confusing. It's a family. And the rules are there, but, but you're in no matter what. But then people treated you like it did matter what you did. And actually, you did kind of get shunned. And there were some cliques, and there, right? Or, or you were taught that, that it was a, a, a club model for faith. And so then you just had this paradigm of like, keep behaving, keep believing, keep showing up and be your best. Otherwise, you know, you're living in this fear of you're going to get kicked out. And so at some point, listen, no matter where you are on your faith journey, no matter what faith tradition you're even wrestling with, you're going to come up against this pesky tension of the reality of rules. That there is a role for rules, and you and I are not the rule makers, which is kind of annoying, right? Because we would make some sweet rules if we were in charge. So then what is the role of rules? And not just, listen, I, I know that we're talking, you know, in multiple layers here. 
Um, but, but there's also some like emotional and, and theological responses. Like depending on your background, depending on your experience, some of you respond to this very emotionally. Some of you ver- respond to this very cognitively. And there's the experiential side of, of the, you know, the people that you're living life with in a faith tradition. And then there's the more specific conversation we're going to talk about today. And that is what does the role of rules look like when it comes to my relationship with God? I think the family of God, the church, should, should express a consistent uh, role of rules, if you will, meaning we should, we should be modeling what Jesus taught. It's not always consistent, but we should be doing that. But more specifically, the bigger question today is not what are the role of rules between you and I, but what about our relationship with God? What does it actually look like? So let's wrestle with it for a second. We're going to go back in time, a little, 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 little jump back into history. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to look at one of the oldest and most well-documented sets of laws, sets of rules that we have on the planet. And what's amazing about what we're going to look at today is this is consistent in Jewish, Christian, and Islamic literature. So it's not just specific to the Christian faith. You're going to be familiar with it when we throw it up there. And it's what? The Big Ten. The Ten Commandments. You know what's funny about the Ten Commandments? Everybody like knows about it. Like, like it's out there somewhere, but no one knows all ten of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we had a test right now. We'd all fail. Like, you know, there's probably something in there about not cheating on your wife or something. You know, we get two or three, but I don't know that we'd pass. And so, you know, we have this Ten Commandments, and, and what's really helpful here is this was, this was uh, documented around 1446 B.C. So one of the oldest sets of, of literature when it comes to a set of rules, and again, it's across all faith traditions, which is really cool, and, and what we're going to look at today is where these come from and kind of the, the, the entire story of, of what this might mean for us. And so you might not be familiar with the story, but basically the Ten Commandments comes from God showing up with Moses, giving him, right? You might see the, the uh, uh, I've seen like, you know, funny clips of, uh, I, I have a Gandalf picture in my mind, like, you know, there's, there's Moses with the Ten Commandments. And he's like, you shall not pass. But those are not the same movies. But you know what I'm talking about. And then he throws one. Anyway, all right. So there's Moses and God on Mount Sinai. And, and we're going to be in Exodus 20 today. Before we go there, I want to give you like a timeline. Because the timeline in order to get to the Ten Commandments is what's happening before that. So last week, I introduced you to a guy named Abraham. So we're going to start with this guy named Abraham up here. Or Arnold. I mean, nope, Abraham. Sorry. There we go. That's what I meant. That's funny right there. Okay, guys, I think I'm hilarious. I was looking for, like, how do I build a paradigm for you? By the way, the benefit of building my own slides is I get to do whatever I want, right? So I was like, hmm, what kind of, you know, silhouette could I find? And I'm like, oh, it looks just like me. Okay, so we're going to build a little, little timeline here for you, okay? And so last week I introduced this guy named Abraham, which is kind of like this starting point for the story of faith, okay? We went backwards and kind of did that work. And so God made all these promises to Abraham that we look back at, and, and we asked about the bearing on, on our lives and what that might mean to trust in God. Is it that simple, all of that stuff? And so God makes some promises to Abraham. And one of them is he's going to bless all nations and make Abraham a great nation. One of the problems was is that Abraham didn't have any kids. He didn't have any community. His wife was 99 years old. The baby-making factory was shut down. And they're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And then God fulfills his promise, and, and Abraham has two sons. We have uh, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Now, what's really interesting here is that this is where we talked about last week, the faith traditions split. About 650 years after Jesus is on the planet, Muhammad shows up, and Muhammad's going to take this line and say, okay, Ishmael is going to be the, the son of blessing, the son of promise. And then, and then again, on the Jewish side, we're going to say Isaac is the son of blessing, the son of promise. So he has two sons. Uh, uh, this one is because he got impatient and slept with his wife's uh, uh, servant. Um, and it was her idea, by the way, he would say. So, you know, just, just in case anybody's wondering, right, he's, he's clean. Uh, anyway, 
That's it. I'm funny. Okay. All right. All right. But, but, then, but then God does, does bring it about. Sarah gets pregnant. His wife, they have Isaac. And then what I want you to follow today is the timeline of how we got to Moses and the Ten Commandments, okay? So from Isaac, he has uh, um, Jacob. And then from Jacob, he has 12 sons. Okay. So again, I'm, I'm just going to fast forward through, through the entire history here because we don't have a lot of time. But out of these 12 sons, there's this dude named Joseph, one of the brothers of the twelve. We're going to get there in a second. But basically, this entire timeline unfolds, and we get the, the nation of Israel and the nation of uh, the Arab nations, okay? So, I mean, again, that's it's the whole timeline. Again, Muhammad would say, bam, look at here. All of this comes together. This is God's promise. This is God's lineage. And then, and then the Jews, and then eventually the Christians would say, no, this is the line here. So, so again, we, we back up for a second. We say, how do we get to the nation of Israel? How do we get to the Ten Commandments? How do we get there? When did the role of rules get introduced? And right here in the 12 brothers, there's this guy named Joseph. His brothers don't like him. They, they, they throw him in a hole. They sell him into slavery. And he ends up a slave in Egypt. And God takes this crazy bad situation in his life and, and, and uses Joseph in an amazing way. There's a huge famine. I mean, it's, people are dying all over the place. Joseph is there in Egypt. They have an incredible amount of resources, and he invites his family to Egypt once, once God does amazing things to get him out of prison, all kinds of crazy stuff you can go read on your own. And, and so Joseph is like a primary leader in the nation of Egypt, and he saves his family. All these things are happening. And as their entire family migrates to Egypt and is saved through the famine, all those things happen, all of a sudden they start multiplying like, like mice, rabbits. What multiply fast? Rabbits multiply fast. Mice might too. I don't know. I don't have any mice. But the idea is they start multiplying like crazy, right? And they turn, I mean, into a significant amount of people, so much so that the nation of Egypt looks up and says, this is a problem. Like, there's a bunch of them, and if they decide that they want to take over, they can win. And so then they push them into slavery, and they, became, they become a slave nation. And much of what we see in Egypt, right, is a, is a result of the nation of Israel being in slavery. And so again, fast forward through all of this, you say, okay, we have this giant nation, so God is, you know, fulfilling his promise, but then there's all these, you imagine like bedtime stories in, in the nation of, of, of Egypt, okay? Kids, everybody's a slave, I mean, it's just hard, hard labor, no light at the end of the tunnel, and they would have these stories. Oh, you know, God promised Abraham that, that you know, we were going to be a great nation, and they're in slavery, guys, listen, for 400 years, the nation of Israel that has grown into a nation is in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Try, try to imagine what that's like. Think about your just primary life right now. And then fast forward, 400 years. It's like so hard to wrap your mind around. Think about being in that line of work for 400 years. It's hopelessness is what they have. It's a very, very dark and, and, and hopeless time. And they would tell these stories about God's promises, blah, blah, blah. And I think if I was there, I don't know about you, but if I'm hearing these stories about God's promises and, and how amazing he is, I'd be like, I think you're just blowing smoke. Like 400 years we've been doing this and, and you're just trying to, you know, keep me from giving up hope. But like, I don't see God's promises coming about. And, it, and as they are this slave nation for 400 years, one day God sends this guy named Moses, right? Now, now you caught up with the story, right? 400 years in, Moses shows up at Pharaoh's door, and he says something like this. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, baby, let my people go. Right, yeah, yeah. Anybody? Just me? Okay. All right, well, that, that's, the, that's the dance moves I busted out in my middle school dance life. Um, 
I'm pretty sure that's how that dance goes, by the way. But right, he shows up and he says, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, no. <laughs> and then nature freaks out, <laughs> right? All these crazy plagues, all the crazy, I mean, just nature freaks out. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, okay, just kidding, you can have them. And then there's this entire exodus from the nation of Israel, and they, they become their own nation. They end up at Mount Sinai with Moses, and that's where the, the Big Ten shows up. By the way, did you know that the name Moses appears more in the Quran than any other name in the entire book? Isn't that interesting? So again, this is, not just, this is not just specific to the Christian faith, but rather we're looking at the entire story and historical narrative here. But again, Moses lets him go. They go to Mount Sinai. They have this entire thing. We have this history tells us that, that God gives this former slave nation now a set of laws to become their own nation. So let me just kind of back up. Exodus 20, okay? That's where we, we all of that work to get here. Exodus 20, God is, is looking at this, this slave nation now set free. And, and, and he says all of these words through Moses I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, this is the prelude to the Big Ten, okay? So before the Big Ten show up, before the list of do's, don'ts, rights, wrongs, rules, and regulations, this is what God says, and it's so important. He shows up, and he says, I'm your God. I brought you out. I'm making, right, out of the house of slavery. And I think, right, again, You've you got to be on the other side. If you've been 400 years in slavery, you have to ask the question, well, where'd you come from? When did this start? You're, you're our God? We're, we're, we're your people? Like, where was the starting point of this? Like, we've been in slavery for 400 years. Where you been? <laughs> right? Like, we, we haven't done anything. Why, why did you do all of this when we haven't done anything? And I think that's the point. He says, God shows up at this moment in time. This is so amazing. He says, I'm God, and I've done something for you when you have done nothing for me. I'm showing up, and I'm doing the miraculous and the spectacular for you, and you haven't done a thing. This is an incredible first start, and, and it's so helpful. So they're like, okay, cool. So you're God. We're people like, okay, I, I, I think we get it, but like, how does this work? Like, are there rules? Were there rules? Did we break the rules already? Like, it, how does this thing work if you're God and we're your people? And God, I think, in this moment, is pressing the pause button. He says, hold on, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the role of rules. But before we talk about the role of rules, I need you to know something. I am yours. You are mine. Let's establish the relationship before we get to the role of rules. And before God gets to the rules... In this moment, God has only asked Israel of one thing. This is so important. We talked about it last week. God has only asked them to do one thing up to this point. And it was the night before they were set free, God said, trust me. I'm going to bring you out. Trust me. Pack your things. Trust me. Pack your th We've been slaves for 400 years. We're leaving tomorrow. Trust me. And on this evening, this is something called the Passover that you might be familiar with. You've heard it before. And on this evening, God invites them to trust him. He says, hey, we're going to take the, the, the meal. He says, what we're going to do is you're going to take a, a goat or a lamb. You're going to slaughter it, which they did all the time. You're going to share a meal, which they did all the time. But then he instructs them to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home. And they're like, that's a little weird. <laughs> He's like, just trust me. And that evening, the angel of death shows up and it passes over every home with blood on the doorpost. 
And he says, trust me. And every time the Jewish nation after that, by the way, would celebrate the Passover, they're not remembering the law, right? It's not a look back on like the Big Ten. They are remembering the evening that God said, trust me, and he brought them out of slavery. Okay, so, so again, three, three weeks later, they're at Mount Sinai. God says, I'm yours, you're mine. And all he's asked of them up to this point is trust me. And watch the first command, verse three. The, the big one <laughs> out of the Big Ten. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. How many of you know that for a relationship to be significant, for a relationship to be intimate, for a relationship to grow in intimacy, it has to be exclusive? Right? For a relationship to grow in intimacy, it has to be exclusive. God is inviting them into a relationship. And he says, no other gods before me. And you have to think, listen, 400 years in slavery, miraculous things have happened. They're standing at the base of Mount Sinai and they're like, check, easy. I mean, are you kidding? You're so amazing. You're so good. You've done all of this. We did nothing for you. We haven't earned it. We haven't deserved it. And you did all of this. I mean, yeah, sure. Why, why not make sure that you're the, uh, done, God, we got you. And this is so important, guys, the Ten Commandments were confirmation of, not a condition of, Israel's relationship with God. Do not miss this. The Ten Commandments, the role of rules here, were confirmation of, not a condition of, Israel's relationship with God. God didn't show up and say, here's ten things you've got to do to be my people. And some of you, you think that's what a relationship with God looks like. Do these things and you can be in. Right? God doesn't look at them and say, you know what? You only got five right, so I'm going to go find some different people. <laughs> right? He doesn't say that. Now listen, I need you to understand, God could have made this conditional, yeah? He totally could have made this relationship conditional, but he didn't, and it wasn't. And then he moves on. Now that we've established the relationship, I want to teach you how to live together and to love one another. Here's what's amazing, guys. Listen, as a good father, the relationship aspect here, the family model that God leans into here is for our good and his glory. When he gives the big 10, they're not bad things. They're not annoying things. Who likes to be lied to? It's my favorite thing ever when people just lie to me to my face. You know, people getting married, they're like, man, I can't wait for the day that my spouse cheats on me. Looking forward to it. That, right, the big 10 are, are, are not astronomically uh, offensive. <laughs> they, they make a lot of sense in loving one another and honoring God. And he says, I'm your God, you're my people, I'm gonna teach you how to live together and to love others well. And so fast forward from here, okay? Let me just give you, you know that whole Old Testament part that you, you know, try to avoid because it gets really confusing and some people just tell you not to read it at all? The Old Testament is an incredible series of, of, of models and, and uh, things that you and I can follow of God's relationship with Israel. So, so again, the relationship starts and then we have this back and forth. Again, you're in, the rules follow, right? And then there's back and forth. Israel will follow the rules and then not follow the rules. Follow the rules and not follow the rules. And then you seem like a parent, you know, they're looking at their kid, and you're like, all right, listen, you better listen. One, two, two and a half, three, you're in timeout, right? And over and over again, God puts Israel in timeout, right? There's the relationship, there's the family model going on, there are rules, and they keep breaking them. And so God says, one, two, all right, you're in timeout. You're in timeout. I'll bring you back and you're in timeout. And, and they get it right and they get it wrong. They get it right and they go back and forth and back and forth in this relationship. And sometimes people look at it like, oh man, God's so mean. Is he? 
if it's for their good and for the good of others, is he, is he or does he actually love them enough that he doesn't give up on them? Because if I'm God and I'm playing that game with you, I'm just gonna go find some new people because <laughs> this is a lot. How annoying, right? But God does not give up on the relationship over and over again. He puts them in time out and don't miss this. The entire history of Israel screams God saying, you are my people and I'm not giving up on you no matter what you do. And you and I have a hard time with that because we're so used to conditional love. But I need you to understand that with God, relationship precedes rules. And he chooses the family model over the club model. And over and over again, don't, don't miss this. God does not put them in time out to make them suffer, to, to like get what they deserve, to get them back for their behavior. That's what people hear when there's consequences to our actions. God puts them in time out to bring them back, to help correct what's broken. So, it's one thing to look at all of that and say, okay, cool, way to go, Israel. Maybe that's how that works. But what about for you and me? Don't miss this. The role of rules for you and I, the rules are confirmation of, not a condition of, our relationship with God. The rules are confirmation of, not a condition of, our relationship with God. And you might be thinking here, you're like, okay, cool, Drake, I hear you, but like, what if God just plays favorites, Right? Like, like, what if God is just playing favorites with Israel and Abraham? Like, what, what if they're, well, they're special and that's them and that's not us? Like, what if God is like, you know, okay, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, Israel. Okay, we got them. That's going to be awesome. But those Americans, I don't know. Yeah, Canadians, mm, I don't know. What, what if this is just circumstantial for God? So let, let me give you this as we land the plane. When you look at the relationships, one thing is for certain, as God is doing all of this for Israel, doing all this through, through Abraham, check this out, Genesis 18. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham. Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. That was the promise, right? Which we talked about came true. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. From day one, from the beginning, this was never just about Abraham. This was never just about Israel. Watch this. In Isaiah 49, 6, same, same promise. I will make you, this is the promise to Israel, as a light for the nations that my salvation might reach to the end of the earth. Guys, listen. What's amazing is it was never just about Abraham and Israel. It was always about everyone. This invitation is for everyone, everywhere. And it starts with, trust me. And so then we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus shows up 1,500 years later and the first thing he says is, trust me. The first invitation is an invitation of trust, of faith, of belief in the relationship. Let me show you what Jesus said in John 1. Check this out. But to all who behaved, what does it say? To all who believed, he gave the right to become HOA members club members. 
to everyone who trusted in him. He gave the right to become the children of God, to be a part of the family of God. And here's what the family model model is screaming, guys, and I need you to get, if you don't get anything else, don't miss this right here. The family model is God saying, anything I ask of you is evidence of my love for you. Anything I ask of you is evidence of my love for you. You can trust you this whole time. Isn't that amazing? So let me give you some questions to reflect on our time together. So for growing up, just your personal story, okay? Growing up, was faith based on the family model, the club model, the HOA model? Was it a combination of some, you know, what's it been like for you? Or maybe what is it, was it for you right now? What's been your understanding up to this point? when it comes to a faith conversation. And secondly, is there a next step? Is there an area of obedience for you and for me that we're struggling with because of a wrong model? Is it part of the, it's part of the reason we struggle to follow because we have it out of order? We think we're earning something when it's already given. And what might change if you and I could flip the paradigm, if we could understand that it's out of a motive of love that we say yes, that we trust, that we step into this. So maybe for you for the first time, this is taking that step of trusting in Jesus. Some of you are wrestling with faith. Can I believe? Can it be that is easy? Am I willing to trust in Jesus? And this might be that moment for you. To say, I've had the wrong model. I've had the wrong invitation. Start it right today. Others of you, it might be taking the next step of of, of baptism, right? We talked about it earlier that we have our baptism Sunday next week. And this is telling everyone on the outside what Jesus has already done on the inside. It's an invitation from Jesus to identify with Him. I'm a part of this family. And maybe your next step is, is, is obedience and baptism, trusting in Him, and your next step. Right? Maybe your next step is developing a, a habit of God time, not an, not an obligation, not that every day you're trying to read the scriptures and pray because you feel bad if you don't, or what if and whatnot, and it, but rather there's a motivation, there's an invitation to spend time with him daily because he loves you and he wants to work in and through you for your good and the glory, and, or for your good, for the good of others, for the glory of God. Right? I mean, there's all kinds of next steps. Right? Maybe it's joining community. Maybe it's letting people in. Maybe it's getting into a city group. Maybe it's joining the team. Maybe it's extending forgiveness where it's not deserved. Maybe it's asking for forgiveness from someone that you've hurt. What's your next step? What might love cause you to do as a result of understanding that this relationship is built off of trust? As we reflect on our next steps, I just want to take a moment and and create some privacy. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now? And as you do that, that's just to create some space for you to remove distraction, to to contemplate what what a next step might be. And as you wrestle with that, I I just want you to sit right now. Maybe you flip your hands up on 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 your lap and say, God, what's my next step? 
What's the thing I've been scared of? The thing I've been frustrated with? Maybe there's something that you've been struggling with that you need to invite some friends into that you're scared of what they might think. What would it look like to take a next step and trust in faith? God, whatever it is that you're putting your fingers on today, man, we want to say yes. We, we want to be able to trust you. And I realize I have friends all over the place in different spaces on their spiritual journey. Some of us are followers of you and we, and we let our minds slip into the wrong model of relationship. Would you bring us back to the family model? That what you want for us is for our good and glory. Some of us, we're not in the family yet. We're wrestling with that. Would you, would you move our hearts towards you today and help us to, to recognize that we can trust you? Others of us are on this journey. We're trying to figure out what we believe and why. And we just need a safe space to do that. God, would you, would you put it on our hearts and minds to keep showing up, to keep digging in, to keep asking the hard questions? God, we give you this time. We ask you to do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name.